You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that your glory would fill this place and that we would not only apprehend it, but that we would feel it for our good, but above all, for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Draw your attention to uh, our reading from Malachi, and you might actually find it helpful to open your Bibles because I'm going to go beyond the parameters uh, of the reading this morning, and that's on page 802. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. His name means my messenger, and he brings a message to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom in the life of the Hebrew people, uh, that is a far cry from its former grandeur. They have returned from exile in Babylon. With Nehemiah, they've rebuilt the walls. They've even rebuilt a temple. But it is a shabby comparison to the great temple of Solomon. Judah is only about 20 by 25 miles at this point in size. There aren't very many people there. The Persians who are ruling them allow them a great degree of religious freedom for which they are grateful. But the message that Malachi brings is that even though you honor me with your lips, your hearts are far from me. You continue to go through the ritual sacrifices in the temple, but in fact you're robbing God. You say, oh, I will offer up my best to the Lord in this sacrifice. And yet the animal that they would bring to the temple to be sacrificed would be lame, would be blemished. And they didn't even know that they were doing anything wrong because they thought, well, this is good enough for God. This is fine. He'll accept this. He must accept this. And God says, no, Ichabod the glory of the Lord has departed. So even though outwardly they were orthodox and the temple was working and the Levites were there in full service, God himself says, my glory has departed from this place. This Shekinah glory that radiated so much that even to this day, the reason why Jews go to the Western Wall to pray is because they believe that God's glory still permeates those stones. This is the glory that was so great in the Holy of Holies that on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go in, he would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he were to die, nobody else was going in after him. They would just pull him out. And God says, that glory is now gone. But as is often the case, God has a rescue plan. Because if God were to wait around for his people to respond, to say, okay, Lord, we're going to get our act together, we're going to get right with you, it would never happen. And so the great theme of the book of Malachi, even though it is a righteous judgment against God's people, and even us today, this is the word of the Lord to his people. Chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord. 
And the people of Israel, the people of Judah, have become numb to even God's love. And so God realizes that what's needed is a heart change, and so he's going to affect that, which brings us to chapter 3 today. He says, I can't wait around for you. In fact, 2.17 tells us that God's speaking, you have wearied the Lord with your words. He's weary. I'm tired of all the talk. I'm tired of the sham religion where everyone thinks that you're so faithful and devout, but actually in your heart you're unfaithful and you've departed from me. And so God says, I'm going to send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. He's speaking here of John the Baptist because it would be 400 years after Malachi until God spoke again. The people were used to having prophets delivering the word of the Lord to them. They kind of ran together successively in many cases. And now after Malachi, God is silent for 400 years until a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, comes in the person of John the Baptist. Elijah, come amongst us again. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger, that is, I'm finally, going to, I'm finally going to restore my glory to the temple. But this temple is not a building. This temple is you, my people. And so he's going to manifest this love that he has for his people by sending a Savior. But this Savior comes with a furnace. Now the furnace that is talked about here is the furnace of the final judgment. It's the furnace that all of us will go through. Every single one of us, believer, unbeliever, apathetic. And there that furnace will burn away everything that is not of God. But here's a promise that he tells us in chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Who are the children of Jacob? The children of Jacob are those who have taken hold of Jesus Christ by faith, who have put their trust in him, who live and walk in his love. And so when we go through the furnace, we will not be consumed. I think this is what Paul was getting at in 2 Corinthians 4-7 when he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us because God has given us his spirit when we go through the furnace and that final judgment. Everything that is broken down and sinful about us will be completely burned up. And out on the other side comes a glorified follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who will reign with him in the new heaven and in the new earth. The jar of clay that is our body that is wasting away will be no more. Now you'll still be you, but you'll be a glorified you. But for those who do not have the deposit of gold in their hearts, all of you will be consumed. And God said, this furnace is meant to make you my people, to make you more like my son Jesus. 
And I think that it's not too far of a stretch to say that the furnace of purification is not just the furnace on the final day of judgment, but it's the furnaces that we experience in our lives day in and day out. Each and every single one of us has gone through some awful tragedy, whether that's through our own doing, through circumstance, sin, others. But God can redeem it and use it. You know, I often hear people, when I give my testimony, come up and say to me, you know, Andrew, I just can't believe how you turned out. You you turned out in spite of your upbringing the way that you are. But you know, that that's not the Christian way to look at it. That's not the biblical way to look at it. That's not how Malachi sees it. We are not who we are in spite of the furnaces in our lives. We are who we are because of the furnaces in our lives. God uses them to make us who we are, and they're a refining agent. And so when we go through these furnaces of our lives... Malachi says, are you going to go with God or are you going to go alone? Because he wants us to know that. He wants us to know that God is in the furnace with us. This is illustrated most clearly when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great names for dogs, by the way, are there in the fiery furnace because they refused to bend the knee in Babylon. And the furnace was so hot that Nebuchadnezzar was going to throw them in that the people tending the furnace died. And so when the three men were thrown in and the new workers, I guess, that were watching this saw that there were four men in the furnace, they didn't know what to think. Only three went in, but there are four. And of course, that fourth is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you know that he's in the furnace with you? But if you don't know him, you're in the furnace alone. Now, maybe some of you are saying, well, God would never bring me to the furnace. That's not what God does. But in fact, this is often how God operates. We hear in Scripture that, that things, words like this, the fire will rage, but you will not be consumed by it. The waters will rise, but you won't be overwhelmed by them. And what is the Scripture trying to say? The Scripture is trying to say is like, you're going to get burned, but you won't be consumed. You're going to feel like you're drowning, but God will rescue you and give you a firm place to put your feet. That yes, you might be in the furnace because of sin and circumstance, but you might also be in the furnace because God placed you there. Because that's the place where he makes you his own and draws you close to him. And even when we experience those tragedies that are of the making of sin, we look at them and we realize that in those moments, God is drawing us to him because we have nothing left but him. And all we can do is throw ourselves upon his mercy and say, Lord, I just don't need you in the furnace. I need you to carry me through the furnace. I don't even have legs to walk. And so it is a pernicious lie that is often perpetuated that when you become a Christian, your life is all sunshine and lollipops. It's happiness. It's joy all the time. 
But we still live in a broken and fallen world. And look at the lives of the apostles. Every single one of them died a martyr's death in a horrific way. Whether that be beheading, crucifixion upside down, or by spears. John was the only one we hear of that lived into old age. And that was not without them trying to kill him. Uh, We're told that they tried to kill him by boiling him alive in oil. Now, I don't think that our brother John was sitting in that vat of oil being boiled alive thinking, God has a wonderful plan for my life. But he did. He understood that he had given himself fully over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in his dying, although God spared him, But for the other apostles, in their dying, there is the Lord Jesus Christ, and his name is glorified. No one looks forward to these furnaces. But if you're a Christian this morning, you know a deep need for them. When we confess our sins in this service, we said that there was no health in us. In our communion service, we say that the burden of our sin is intolerable. Do you know that to be true of yourself? Do you, when whatever furnace you're in or whatever sin that you happen to be struggling with, do you say, God, I need you to take this out, root and branch from my life, because it's, it's crushing me. It's it's taking my life down a path where I don't want to go and I can't seem to stop whatever habit is that I've developed or the thought patterns that I've developed. I need you to come in and intervene in my life right now. Do you echo the words of the hymn we just sung? We just sang, Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And of course, Jesus is able to be in the furnace with us because he's been through the furnace himself. Now, the furnace is painful for all of us because it begins to pull out those things that are sinful in our own lives. But think of the furnace that Jesus went through when all the sins of the world upon him were laid. It destroyed him. Can you imagine the intensity of that furnace. But praise God, he was raised up on the last day. Now in all of this, I hope that you understand, I don't want you just to know God's presence with you in the furnace. I want you to be able to feel it. Oftentimes people will say, well, the Advent, y'all are really intellectual. You're always kind of up here in the head with your Christianity. But Christianity is an experiential religion. You're not just meant to know the Lord Jesus, you're meant to feel him. And I I echo the words of the great hymn writer who said, we dare not trust the sweetest frame. Feelings can certainly lead us astray, and there are certainly moments in my life where I've not felt the closeness of the Lord, but that doesn't mean he's, he's gone away, and I cling to his word and his promise that he is indeed near to me, even when I don't feel it. But there are times in your life that when the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, that you ought to feel God's presence. You ought to feel his arms around you. You ought to feel him taking you by the hand. You ought to feel him taking you up into his arms. As, your, as his son, as his daughter. Paul himself, when saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, said, I've preached the past three years through tears. 
Eyewitnesses to George Whitfield during the Wesleyan revival said that Whitfield would often weep when he preached. Christians should be emotional. When Billy Graham had his great crusade in Herringay in London back in the 1950s, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, the uh, great pastor of Westminster Chapel, was a little bit suspicious of the Graham crusade. And so to try to persuade him that everything was on the up and up, someone said, but Dr. Lloyd-Jones, when the people come forward, they're not emotional at all. There's no emotion to it. And Lloyd-Jones says, well, that seals the deal for me. I can't believe it. To come into touch with your human sinfulness and your brokenness and not to be overwhelmed by it and then to understand the great love of a Savior who went through the furnace for you and it doesn't make you emotional, it doesn't move you to tears. That's a far cry from biblical Christianity. Do you not just know that Jesus is in the furnace with you? Do you, know, do you feel that he's in the furnace with you? That's my prayer for all of you. It's my prayer for me. Not just on that final judgment day, but to whatever it is that you're encountering in your life right now. Whatever tragedy it is that has marked your life. I want you in your mind's eye, in your sanctified mind's eye, to see the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. And even if that moment is something that has reduced you to ashes, to know and feel that God has the power to raise you up like a phoenix from those ashes, that those things do not define you because you are a child of Jacob, a child of the living God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know him in the furnace. Feel him in the furnace and know that his glory inhabits you, his temple. Let us pray. Oh God, give us hearts that long for your glory. So many of us feel so broken embarrassed and don't know where to turn. And often we think that we're just so far gone that we can't even turn to you. But Lord, your promise is that you're in the furnace and that we will not be consumed. You say, I am the Lord God and I do not change. That your promises are yes and amen in Jesus and they are sure. But Lord, we pray that in your mercy that you would actually visit us and visit us in such a way that we can feel you in our lives. Lord, help us wipe the ashes from our face and lift up our heads that we might behold you, our mighty and merciful Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.